You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. We live in a generation that is and handicapped by fear. Fear can govern our decisions, our outlook on life, our demeanor, our spirit, our attitude, our actions and reactions, our hope. It is easy to allow fear to grip our hearts if we look at the government, the control, the downward spiral of sin and immorality in our land, the rejection of God in our society, the hatred of people one towards another, the rejection of authority, the lawlessness in the streets, and the decay of the church, casualness in Christians. All these things can easily grip our attention. And they can rob our joy, steal our focus. But as Christians, our lives do not need to be dictated and governed by fear. 2 Timothy 1 says, God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Tonight we find a Roman centurion who was in a desperate situation. He had a great need. A servant in his home, one that he loved very dearly, was sick and at the point of death. All hope seemed gone for this situation. There was nowhere to turn. Yet in this dark hour, we find his life provides us with a shining example. In fact, we see that the Savior marveled at his behavior. Instead of allowing his difficulty or the hopelessness of the situation to derail his life, we find the centurion turns his eyes toward Jesus. Jesus' attention was arrested by this man's great faith. Jesus stopped what he was doing and exclaimed to those around him that he had not found such great faith, not in the whole nation of Israel. This Roman centurion's life is an example to us tonight. In the day and hour we live, would we be Christians that have the same testimony as this centurion? Would God Almighty have the same uh, uh, ability to look at our lives and exclaim, they have great faith? Tonight, I'd like to preach a simple message. It's entitled, Great Faith. Great Faith. Father, I pray that you'd help me to deliver the truth that you've given to me. And I pray that it would be a blessing to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. I love working on the staff of North Valley Baptist Church. One of the many privileges that we have working on staff is to have work days. Now, anybody that works on staff knows that we have work days, and some people on staff enjoy the work days more than others. But we all pitch in and work around the property. And our pastor has such an eye for detail, and he really just makes sure this place is always looking first class. I love that. And we have these work days, and we all pitch in to get things done. Regularly, when we have these work days, we'll rent a lift. In fact, one arrived on the property today, and we used it. These lifts are important. They help us in so many ways. They help us hang decorations, clean the buildings, paint the buildings, trim trees. And I like trimming trees, Pastor. <laughs> when I'm done trimming the trees, you don't have to trim them for a long time. And there's a reason for that. When they're done being trimmed, you don't have to go back again six months later. You have to wait a whole year to go back and do them again. But 
I enjoy driving the lifts. When the lifts are around, it's fun to drive them around the parking lot. But I'm afraid of heights. And so driving the lift around the parking lot is fun. But going up in the lift is not fun. Well, we have, in my time on staff, had three different paint projects. And these projects are usually not just a one or two day thing. They're usually several weeks long. They could have been months long, but Pastor gave Brother Apusin the job of organizing them. And so he's driven. He's motivated, and he wants us to get done with these projects so we can get back inside and do our other work. So we have the great leadership of Brother Apusin and these lifts. The paint projects are always such a delight. But what happens is, Brother Poussin feels that the young skinny guys should do the top of the building. Yep. And so when he divvies up the work, it always seemed to happen that, Andrew, your job is to pressure wash the very top of the steeple, or pressure wash the, the entire building and do the top. And then the next day, it's Brother Reamers, can you go ahead and paint the trim along the very top <laughs> rim of the building? Now, if you look at the top of the building, it's not as high from the ground. But when you start going up the lift, and Brother Martinez, it goes beep, 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 and you start going up and up and up, that's when I don't like it. I don't like it. Those lifts are very secure when they're low, but when they get up in the top, they start to sway, and they start to shake, and they start to bounce. And when you hit a speed bump and you're way up in the sky, you just feel like, oh, I don't ever want to do this again in my life. It takes a lot of faith to work at that height. Tonight, on a more serious note, we see a man that had great faith. The book of Luke is a powerful, detailed account of Christ's ministry. And it's the third gospel in the New Testament, the longest of the four gospels. It's a popular book. In the next few weeks, you're going to undoubtedly open the book to Luke 2 and read the Christmas story with your family. And then, as you look further in the book of Luke, you'll see Christ's ministry begins in chapter 4. It's really interesting just to see Jesus. He, he, basically, his ministry starts, and immediately he gains fame and begins to do so much to help people. Chapter number 4, if you'll turn there with me quickly... Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. His ministry begins, and in verse 14, after he uh, successfully passes the test, we see in verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee, and there went out a fame of him through all the region round about. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And then as you look further down, uh, we see in chapter 4, verse 31, that as he came into Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them in the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. So Jesus is now in Capernaum, the same city as this centurion that we read about earlier. And the people are starting to talk about him and his ministry, and his fame is spreading. And then we see verses 33 through 35, he heals someone. And in verse 36, they were all amazed. In 37 of that same chapter, the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. So Jesus is in Capernaum, and word is spreading about his ministry. Then we see in chapter 5 and 6, Jesus continues to teach. He calls his disciples, 
and he does many more wonderful works. But then we arrive at our text passage for this evening, Luke chapter number 7. As we look at the text, we can immediately see this centurion mentioned. And we see in verse 2, it says, A certain centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. First, I want you to just notice as we survey through this passage that this centurion, he had a great need. Verse 2 tells us that the centurion's servant who was dear unto him was sick and ready to die. We can see that it was a personal need. This centurion had undoubtedly many servants. He was well off. And servants were, in this day and hour, not very valuable. If this servant had passed away, he undoubtedly, with his resources, could just replace the servant. But we see here that this was someone that the centurion loved. It was someone who was very dear to him. We see that this centurion's servant was sick. It was a need that was out of his control. If you read in Matthew, the parallel passage, we see that this servant had the palsy. It was lameness, paralysis. And the Bible says that this sickness was something that the centurion could not handle. He could not take care of it. He could not get rid of it for his servant. We see that this sickness was an imminent need. The servant was about to die. There was little time to wait. There was nothing else that could be done. They just were basically having this great need and everything was coming to a close in this servant's life. Tonight in this room, there are many needs represented. There's health needs. There's financial needs. There are family needs. There are marriage needs. You may have a child in your family that has a need, a wayward son, a wayward daughter. There might be a work need. There might be in this room a need that no one else knows about. But yet in this room, as we look around, we would all be like this centurion. We would all have needs. But then as we continue on in this passage, we see verse 3, the great news. The Bible says in verse 3, this, servant had a gr or this centurion had a great need, but the Bible says, and when he heard of Jesus, the centurion found out Jesus was near. He had lived in Israel. He had been in Capernaum for some time. Uh, he had been involved in the Jewish religious community. He had built a synagogue. Uh, he had heard the stories of this teacher and healer. Jesus' fame had already spread in the city, so undoubtedly the centurion was well aware of this man named Jesus. But Jesus was here. Jesus was in his vicinity again. This was great news. And I'll tell you what tonight, the needs in this room are obvious. that Everyone would have them, but I'll tell you there's great news. Jesus is the answer to the problems we face. When we think things are dark, they're hopeless, they're overwhelming, they're out of our control, turn to Jesus. I'm so thankful for the day I heard about Jesus. I'm thankful that I grew up in a Christian home. Young people in this room, if you grew up in a Christian home, don't take it for granted. It's a privilege that God would give you that ability to hear about Jesus at an early age. I think of that song, Jesus is still the answer. And though time and ages roll, Jesus is still the answer. He's the answer for your soul. And though some may say he doesn't fit with their philosophy, I know that Jesus is still the answer. He always has been and always will be. We see this centurion has a great need, but he has great hope because Jesus is coming. Then we see his great request, the end of verse 3. 
the Bible says that he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. He sent the elders of the people. They were reputable men. They were reliable men. And he begs Jesus to come to the aid of his servant. Verse, or chapter, or number four, as we survey, verse four, the Bible says, and when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. These these uh, elders, they come to Jesus and they begin to relay to Jesus this man's reputation, this centurion's reputation. And the elders, they say to Jesus, this man is worthy of, of your attention. He had shown the Israelites great kindness. They would built him a synagogue. And in this time period, Romans were despised by the Israelites. But yet these men were very, very considerate of this centurion. I would say that this centurion, if you were to ask his superior officers in the Roman army, they would give him a rave review. He was a centurion. He wasn't just an ordinary soldier. He had been promoted up the ranks. He was now over 100 men. And these men that were centurions were the backbone of the Roman army. They were important people. These, uh, this centurion would have the high accolades of his superior officers. If you were to ask this centurion's banker, if he was worthy of Jesus' help, he would say, of course, because he could afford to build a synagogue and give it to the people. He must have had wealth unimaginable in this day and hour. If you look at his home, which the centurion later says is unworthy of Jesus to even enter, you would have undoubtedly seen one of the most expensive homes in the city. If you ask the centurion's neighbors, his friends, his servant, is this man worthy of Jesus' attention? They would have all given the centurion positive remarks. But yet, we see here that none of his actions, none of his reputation, his patriotism, his uh, kindness to the Jews, his friends, none of this could manufacture what was needed for his servant. His servant was still sick, but yet he knew his only hope was Jesus. He sent word to Jesus and these men spoke very positively about the, uh, the centurion. Chapter 7, verse 6, the Bible says Jesus went with them. Can you imagine what a relief that was when word got back to the centurion? Wow, Jesus is coming to my house. Amen. This is great news. There's hope. I'm so thankful Jesus is on his way. But yet you would think in this season of his life that he would be cleaning the house and maybe preparing food or getting his soldiers ready for a military welcome. But we don't see the centurion reacting that way at all. We see the centurion in verses 6 through 9 send some additional people to Jesus and stop him. We see the centurion's friends tell Jesus to not come. The Bible says in verse 6, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. We see the centurion says he's not worthy. He's not even worthy to approach Jesus, but he just asked Jesus in faith to speak the word, and his servant would be healed. Then in verse 9, this is where the crux of our message comes. Jesus heard these things, and he marveled. A marvel is a wonder. It's that which arrests the attention 
and causes a person to stand or gaze or just to pause. Jesus, in the midst of the busyness, in the midst of his schedule, just pauses and stops when he hears this report, this message. And he just stands still. Then we see that he turns around to the people that are with him, a great multitude undoubtedly, and he exclaims to these people that he's not found such great faith. Such great faith. The servant was healed before the messengers could ever return to the centurion's home. This man's faith, this man's need was met, and his story was recorded in the pages of Scripture simply because his simple belief in the power and ability of Jesus. He had great faith. Now, tonight, what is faith? Faith is an affectionate, practical confidence in the testimony of God. Faith is believing that God has done it in the past and He can do it again today. God has saved sinners before and He can save sinners today. God has answered prayers before, He can answer prayers today. God has provided great needs for people all down through the ages and He can do it again today. Jesus has still the same power and ability that He did back then. I see here that Hebrews defines faith this way. Uh, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is an essential part of the Christian life. We exhibit faith at salvation. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. At Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart uh, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Uh, so it's important, essential to have faith for salvation. We see it's impossible to please God without faith. Hebrews 11:6, the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Faith is essential in prayer. James 5, 15 and 16 says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And then it goes on to say, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Amen. Matthew tells us that whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Uh, faith is a result of a spirit-filled life. If you uh, have any growing up in church, you've learned about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is found in Galatians 5. And it's one of the fruit that is evident when you're filled with the Spirit. The Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, gentleness, and faith. And the Bible says that if we're filled with the Spirit, we'll have this great quality. So what precedes great faith? How can we have faith that causes the Savior to marvel? Well, let me just give you a few benefits of this great faith because really from this chapter we've already seen them, but great faith gains the Savior's attention. When Jesus was going about his task and going about his uh, ministry, uh, our pastor taught in Sunday school uh, a, a series entitled Jesus on the Move. Jesus was always going. He was always helping people. And because of this centurion's faith, it caused the Savior to stop, change his direction, and come towards the centurion. Wouldn't that be wonderful to know that you had the Savior's attention? Well, Jesus got, uh, the centurion got Jesus' attention through his great faith. Jesus was always about his Father's will. 
yet he paused and stopped what he was doing because of the centurion's faith. Number two, I see great faith unlocks the Savior's power. Jesus had helped many people. If you think back to Matthew chapter 13, that was where the text tells us that Jesus went to his hometown. And when Jesus went there, he tried to do things for the people in his hometown, but the Bible tells us he was unable to do those great works in his hometown because they had what? Unbelief. And the Bible says he was not able to help them because of their unbelief. Great faith unlocks the Savior's power. When we don't have belief, when we don't have faith in our life, we're basically telling God, we don't think you can do it. And we're handcuffing his, his great power. But this centurion, he had faith. Uh, there's an old gospel song that prayer is the key to heaven, but faith unlocks the door. We see that great faith gains the Savior's attention. It unlocks the Savior's power. This man's great faith, it provided help for others. The centurion had great faith, but guess who benefited? Wasn't the centurion that benefited? It was the centurion's servant that was healed. And this man had great faith, and someone else was the benefactor. They were the one that reaped the benefits. I would want to have great faith in my life because I have a wonderful wife. I have three children that I love dearly. And it would always be my desire to have faith in my life so that I could be a funnel of blessing to their lives. This centurion, he provided help through his faith to others. And then we see that great faith set an example for the multitudes. As Jesus had faith, or as the centurion had faith, Jesus was just so marveled. He was so amazed. He stops. He turns to this group of people. The centurion wasn't even there. And the Bible says that Jesus just tells this group of people, you heard the story. This centurion has great faith. I've not found faith like this in the entire nation. These entire multitude of people were witnesses of this centurion's great faith. He undoubtedly spurred them to have great faith as well. Would we as Christians have the type of faith that spurs others forward as well? Now, we've examined the text. We've examined the benefits of great faith. But how do we have it? What are the ingredients for this type of faith that the centurion had? I want it in my life, and I imagine that each person in each pew would want this type of faith so that we could be able to experience these great benefits that we just heard about. Well, there's two simple ingredients to this type of great faith just found in this text. One, we see a reliance upon Christ for his help. Verse 3, when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews. The centurion, in his time of need, he didn't turn inward. He didn't turn to himself. He didn't turn to his abilities, his talents, his finances, or his work. The centurion had so many things he could have relied upon, but he turned his attention to Jesus. I'm thankful to be part of a church that is known for great faith. As you study the history of this great ministry, you can see faith is just the foundation for all that God has done. To God be the glory for what he's accomplished through these great people of the North Valley Baptist Church. Faith is the, the foundation in building buildings, and faith is the foundation for running buses when there were 
difficulties and obstacles, uh, such as even getting new buses and at great expense. Uh, but there was faith of God's people to raise finances. I, I think of the faith of the Sunday school teachers teaching in, in rooms, in, in campgrounds, and in tents. And they just believed that God could do it and bring people to this place. I think of these buckets that we have used for many years now to raise great amounts of money. It's a simple plastic bucket. But you know what it is? It's the people of God getting behind our pastor's vision and having faith. And so this church has been founded upon faith. Faith is what we uh, had to have a Christian school and a college remain open during what would seem like an impossible era and an impossible time. Faith is relying upon Christ for his help. We see the centurion turned his eyes upon Jesus and he reaped great benefits because he had this type of faith. And then number two tonight, and we'll close. We see that he had rely upon, reliance upon Christ for his help. And then we see he had great humility of heart. Verse 6, uh, the Bible says, And when he was not far off from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. The Bible tells us that this man had just a low, low humility. Uh, the Bible says he, he said, Lord, trouble not thyself, I am not worthy. Uh, tonight, great faith is built on the foundation of great humility. When pride is present, you can always mark it down uh, through the pages of Scripture, uh, through the eras uh, since the pages of Scripture, in today's, uh, the day in which we live, when pride is present, faith is absent. If you have pride in your life, you're saying, I can handle it, I can do it, but you're automatically showing that you do not rely and have humility of heart. You do not rely on Jesus to help you. So we see reliance upon Christ for his help and humility of heart are these two important ingredients. Uh, the Bible says that faith is submission to God, that he knows best, that his timing is best, his outcome is best. Uh, I'm going to have humility of heart and just trust the Savior. He knows what's best for me. The, the great, great people of the past are interesting for me to study. And one of the men that just exemplifies this quality so well is George Mueller. You study his life, and he really is an interesting study. He lived in the 1800s, but he opened orphanages, and he had five main orphanages, but he also established 117 Christian schools, and he provided Christian education to 120,000 children. That's a staggering figure, an amazing number. He cared for 10,024 orphans during his life. Uh, through all of this that he did, his ministry, Mueller never made requests for financial support. He never went into debt. And even though his ministry in today's monetary value would be about $15 million he would have had to have brought in. He never went into debt. He never told a soul. He just relied upon God. He had faith that God provided the needs. And instead of telling others around him, he would take the needs to God in prayer. Uh, Mueller, he, you could just read so many stories about him, but he oftentimes when the needs were so great, 
there was no food on the table, he would gather the children and have them sit at the table like there was going to be food. There was none in the kitchen. And then all of a sudden, there'd be a knock at the door. And a milk carton would have broken down. And the axle was broken. And they had to give all the milk to the orphans. Isn't that something? Or a baker would just deliver groceries that weren't even ordered. And there are so many well-documented occurrences like this. In his autobiography in February 12th, Mueller wrote, A brother in the Lord came to me this morning and after a few minutes of conversation gave me 2,000 pounds for furnishing the new orphan house. Now I'm able to meet all of the expenses. In all probability, I'll even have several hundred pounds more than I need. The Lord not only gives as much as is absolutely necessary for His work, but He gives abundantly. This blessing filled me with inexplicable delight. He hath given me the full answer to my thousands of prayers. Faith, Mueller said, does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Mueller lived a life of faith. He just turned it over to God. He had reliance upon God. He had this same humility that the centurion had. He didn't boast of his own accolades. He just did it for the work of the Lord. And we see here that his faith was so well spoken of, just like the centurion. Would it be tonight that in these pews and those watching online, would we be able to have God in heaven look down upon us, whether we're on a mountaintop or facing a dark valley, would we be able to have the reputation like this centurion, like George Mueller, that God could look at us and say, that person has great faith. And that, in that particular statement unlocks so many of the Lord's great benefits. Uh, would tonight we decide to live by faith? Would we not just have faith that God can save us, but then would we live by faith through the journey of the Christian life, I think of that great song, living by faith in Jesus above, trusting, confiding in His great love. Amen. From all harm safe in His sheltering arm, I'm living by faith and feel no alarm. Amen. Would tonight we be a people of great faith? And if your faith has dwindled, if your faith has dimmed, May each of us, like the apostles, like the disciples, when they came to Jesus in Luke, would we have the same prayer tonight at this altar? Would we say, Lord, increase my faith? Would I be able to be one that you look at as one that has great faith? Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.